Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're here today and I hope you're ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is a look into the Bible for answers to your questions. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime you want to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, that's what we do is answer questions, and hopefully that'll help people know their Bible a little bit better. So any questions about a specific verse, doctrine, topic, or maybe something in your life that you wonder what the Bible would have to say about that situation, we'll try to find you an answer. I'm Steve Tandy, and my partner's Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. And uh, we got some good ones coming up today, but we always have one for our viewers first. So here's yours for the day. A multiple choice. A woman judge. There's one woman judge in the Bible, and she led Israel to victory. Was it Ruth, Esther, or Deborah? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you can tell us who the victorious woman judge was. All right, Toby, looks like you got number one about a sword yep. or something. Uh, something. <laughs> what did Jesus mean in Matthew 10:34 by, I don't bring peace but a sword? Well, uh, let's look at that verse on the screen, Matthew 10:34 through 38. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I'll give you a little more context around Matthew 10:34, just to give you some insight. So many times when we're asking a question about what does this verse mean, just backing up just a few verses before and after will give us a great deal of insight. And that does, I believe, in this case as well. Uh, Jesus did come to bring peace. The peace that he came to bring was between God and us. However, amongst human beings, Jesus is a fairly divisive figure. When Jesus said in, for example, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, that's, that's, that's a pretty draw a line in the sand kind of statement. That's, that's fairly stark. And, and either Jesus is telling the truth or he's a liar, a charlatan, a phony. And so you have to make a decision, right? Do you believe Jesus or not? Now, people in the world will say, uh, sort of in a condescending way, well, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a good moral philosopher. Uh, but that's really not true if you, 
if you look at what he said, if, he, if what he said was true, then it was much more than that. And if what he said was not true, then he was for surely a liar and a, and a fraud and a deceiver and not a good man in the least. So that's what he meant by, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. Uh, he would bring division, and sometimes that division would come even down to uh, right in your own household, right among your own family. Uh, people would be divided about whether Jesus was who he said he was or not. So uh, that's what he meant. Uh, he did not intend to bring division, but he was truthful. He told the truth. He said he is the only way to God. And that, that's either true or it won't be, and people will fall on both sides of that. So that's what he meant. As C.S. Lewis famously said, uh, Jesus was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. I uh, hope that helps you understand Matthew ten thirty four just a little bit. All right. Speaking of swords, we got another question about that. Does the Bible advocate self-defense? Uh, well, I wouldn't say the Bible advocates it because that entails promoting it, saying uh, that's what you ought to do or what you should do, uh, defend yourself in all situations, I guess. I, I would say the Bible allows it. I wouldn't say the Bible advocates it. Now, I understand uh, the pacifist position. Uh, Jesus did talk about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and all that. Uh, and some people take that to apply to basically everything and say so you shouldn't resist anything. You should just absorb any uh, self-punishment. You shouldn't defend yourself or your family. Uh, I think in the context Jesus was talking about, he was talking about uh, personal affronts because of your religion, and, uh, people who don't treat you right and all that. And instead of reacting and trying to get even, uh, turn the other cheek. Just take it and go on. I, I don't think he was applying that to every situation where an evil, mad person, crazy person, uh, is going to harm you. I think you can defend yourself in those situations. But I understand the pacifist position, and some people take that and don't defend themselves in any situation. Uh, so when I say the Bible allows it, let's look at just a few verses that give us a clue, and we won't go into any of them in detail, but Luke 22 is interesting. Uh, Jesus told his followers, the ones that he was sending out uh, toward the end of his ministry, he said, if you don't have a sword, uh, go buy one. Okay. He knew it was going to be a time when they'd have to protect themselves. They'd be out traveling on the roads, and there were robbers and everything out there. Uh, so he said, get a sword. Now, Exodus 22, there's a principle about if you're defending your home, and somebody breaks in at night, and you don't know who it is, and you whack them upside the head with a rock, and they die, you're not guilty. Uh, you can defend your home also teaches private property ownership there. Uh, Romans 13 says that the government punishes evildoers. Uh, so you take all those verses together and we learn a little bit about what the Bible talks about self-defense. Uh, we don't uh, avenge ourselves against evildoers. Uh, the government's supposed to take care of that. They punish the evildoers. But there are situations where we're attacked or the home's broken into or something. Uh, and I think from the other biblical teachings, it's 
permissible uh, for a Christian to defend themselves. Doesn't mean that's always the right answer. Uh, we certainly should be wise about it and be knowledgeable about what we're doing. And uh, doesn't mean we have to defend ourselves to the death, but uh, I think the Bible allows self-defense. Doesn't advocate it, but allows it. All right. Next question is, uh, I have always believed in God and Jesus, but sometimes I wonder if that's if it's not all true. Is this Satan at work in me, or is it just common human wondering? Well, we, we understand from Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, I appreciate the honesty and sincerity of your question. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And, and faith is just being able to believe that God exists, as the, the chapter 11 goes on to, uh, to, to ex- give us many examples of, to believe that God exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him, even though we can't see it. Right? Hebrews chapter 11 lists all these people who looked forward to something that they had faith in, but they couldn't see the result of that. And I think every human being, when they have faith, also has a little bit of doubt in some way, or it wouldn't be faith. <laughs> I mean, if you had no doubts, if you just knew that it was going to happen. Uh, so you, you, your faith, it, it's, it's not faith versus doubt. Sometimes you have to have faith in spite of your doubt. And maybe sometimes that doubt looks like you don't know how this could be true. You don't have full understanding. Uh, you don't know how God's going to work it out and so forth. So uh, I, I think it's natural. I think it's common for, for human beings to have that. Now, that, say, that said, I do believe the enemy does use doubt if he can. Uh, that's true from the very first uh, time human beings sinned in Genesis chapter 3. How do, what, what, what does the enemy say first? Did God really say? Okay, so he's he's working that doubt in there, and uh, to me, the best way to uh, to fight doubt is to remember what God really said, and that's why reading the Bible and studying the Bible is so important, because it's easy for the enemy to twist and 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 insert questions and cause us to doubt God's promises, and so we just go back to God's word. Uh, and, and study those ancient words and read them and be reminded of ourselves of the things that God said that are really true. Uh, so uh, that's the best way to, to fight doubt. I, I pulled a verse from Matthew chapter 28 because I wanted to, to give you an example of why I think doubt is normal. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 18. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, and this is the resurrected Jesus, okay, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you can imagine that picture of these men that had followed Jesus for three years, and they watched him be publicly crucified. Now they see him resurrected. They see him in the bodily form. And and still, even as some worship, there are some who doubted. And I think God understands our human frailties and our doubts and is merciful and compassionate toward them. And at the same time, I think we should work to strengthen our faith uh, by reminding us ourselves of the truths in God's Word. So the best way to fight doubt when you have it uh, is to open that good old book and be reminded of God's truth. Hope that helps you. 
All right, speaking of opening that good old book, uh, we like to talk about studying the Bible a little bit each week and uh, tell you some good ways to do that. Uh, maybe you're a long-time Bible student. You know exactly how you, your routine and how you study and how much you read each day. Or maybe you have some other tools that you use. But uh, if you don't, we've got some tools that we'd be happy to share with you. Uh, here's a course of lessons that are just a good overview of the Bible. starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament and then gives you some other topics. Uh, here are some other courses that we have that teach you about the life of Christ and uh, the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, and uh, just lots of good Bible information that helps you not only learn some about your Bible, but form a regular habit of Bible study. We've also got some online courses that uh, you can <clears throat> sign up for and uh, do them anytime, any place. Uh, just go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, they'll ask you a few questions and you'll be on the online Bible study and <clears throat> start learning a whole lot more about your Bible. So if you're interested in becoming a little more serious Bible student, we've got some ways to help you. Use that phone number or website on the screen if you'd like one of the print courses. Uh, let us know and we'll get it started for you. All right, viewer says they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, but someone told them uh, that they need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the viewer wants to know, what's that mean? Well, understand your confusion because the Bible doesn't tell us as Christians uh, anything about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you want to really know what it means, you'd actually have to ask one of the 12 apostles because they were the last people uh, that that happened to. Uh, their experience was they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference. And let's look at two places where Jesus uh, gave orders. And the first one, he would gave orders to his followers about how to evangelize the world. So let's look at Matthew 28, 19. And he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, so in the name of means by the authority of. So like our viewer said, they were baptized by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' command for the rest of time. That's what we're commanded to do. Now let's go to Acts 1, and we'll notice he's talking to a different group of people. Uh, he's talking in verse 2, he mentions the apostles whom he had chosen. And what he said was, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, we got a note that was from Jesus directly to the apostles. He told them, you stay in Jerusalem and wait and you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was different than being baptized by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that one-time event happened. Uh, we know there was a lot of excitement that day. There was a rushing wind sound. There were tongues of fire. There were uh, ability to speak in other languages. 3,000 people were baptized. All sorts of things happened that day. It was a big day. Uh, 
that happened to the apostles. They were empowered. Uh, they were uh, given miraculous powers to teach the gospel from then on and introduce the church. Uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out is the way Luke explains it. And the prophecy in Joel explains that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Uh, the Holy Spirit is available to us today at baptism. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, but that's not Holy Spirit baptism the way people talk about it today. So I understand it's a little confusing. The experience of the apostles was that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. What we are told to do is to be baptized in water, immersed by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, notice after Acts chapter 2 there, nowhere else in the New Testament, no other mention is told of told of Christians, uh, told how or ordered to or any mention of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that happened with the apostles, and we aren't told anything about to do it or even how to do it. So, uh, <clears throat> no, what somebody told you is a little confusion of, between uh, the experience of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles. They didn't teach anybody to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, that's the difference. All right, a question on cremation. We do get a lot of questions on cremation. Uh, something people want to know about. Will being cremated cause me to go to hell? And the answer to that is no. It will not cause you to go to hell. Cremation, of course, has to do with uh, how you dispose of the physical remains of a human being, uh, the body, the shell. And you can be buried, and, um, and the body will slowly decay over time. Uh, or you can be cremated, and you can, it will quickly be reduced to ashes. Uh, again, we're dealing with the physical, and the, the, what causes you to go to heaven or hell is not, has nothing to do with the physical body, has everything to do with the spiritual body. Uh, and so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says as much, I tell you, brothers, uh, tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so we understand that there is a difference there, and so, no, it really makes no difference if you decide to be buried or cremated. We always encourage people, have that discussion with your family. Make sure to write down your wishes and concerns. Um, you know, what what God told Adam in Genesis 3.19, he said, For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that's true. Uh, we, we are made from dust, and we will uh, eventually return to dust. And he's talking about, the, again, the physical body. And uh, so how, how quickly or slowly that happens, the uh, Bible gives no uh, condemnation or approval of. It just says that it's going to happen. So up to you, uh, personal decision, but please do uh, communicate that to your families and make those wishes uh, known, but there's no danger spiritually or otherwise uh, if you uh, choose to be cremated, no, no spiritual uh, condemnation that you'll be at risk of. hope that helps you. All right. Uh, interesting question here. Does the Bible say two people of the same sex cannot be married to each other? And it may surprise you, but I'm going to say, no, the Bible doesn't say that. It does not say two people of the same sex cannot be married. It just doesn't address that topic. 
that's not the way the Bible operates. The Bible tells us what's God, what God's will is, and it doesn't rule out every perversion of that will. For instance, the Bible tells us what marriage is. And it doesn't spend a whole lot of time telling us, well, it isn't this and it isn't that and it isn't this. It just says, here's what marriage is. Uh, it tells us that in Genesis, and then Jesus reiterated it a couple of times. Let's look at one place where Jesus talked about it uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 19. They asked him about marriage, and he said, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, when God originally introduced marriage and designed it, uh, that's what he said. So Jesus just quoted that. He said, in the beginning, he made them male and female. And what marriage is, is a male and female uh, leaving their families, getting together, becoming one flesh. That's marriage. Okay. So that's what the Bible says. Now, it doesn't say it's not this and it's not that. Uh, to illustrate, let me say, if you pick up a recipe for a cake and it says put in flour and sugar, it's part of the cake, uh, it doesn't at the bottom of the page list everything you shouldn't try. <laughs> it doesn't say don't use bacon, don't use cheese, don't use pickles, don't use... It doesn't bother with all that. It just says if you want a cake, you got to put some flour and some sugar in it. So God didn't list everything that won't work. He just says a male and a female becoming one flesh, that's marriage. Okay. Now, I understand that the world has tried to redefine it. The world has said, well, now we're going to call marriage something else, and we've made it legal. But two people of the same sex or more and more permutations are coming available. Uh, but <clears throat> the world decided to change God's rule. Uh, when you change God's plan, you usually end up with a catastrophe. Uh, things don't work so well uh, when you mess with God's plan. It's not the best uh, is it at the worst. At the best, it's not the best. At the worst, it's a catastrophe that will destroy society. So, no, the Bible doesn't say no, you can't have two people of the same sex get married. It just says, here's what marriage is. Don't try anything else. So that's the, what the Bible says and doesn't say. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. This program is uh, prepared for you by Churches of Christ and supported by a number of them. And we like to mention a few in your area maybe each week in case you're looking for a church. Uh, if you live in central Kansas, central Kansas, or Hutchison or St. John area, uh, here's a couple of great churches that... Uh, think and study the Bible a lot like we do. A uh, picture there is of the Eastwood Church of Christ in Hutchinson, right across from the state fairgrounds. A uh, great group of folks up there, Wayne DeWentz, the minister, and uh, you'll enjoy hearing him preach God's Word. And St. John, Kansas is also a fine group of Christians that support this program. Uh, drop in and visit either of those if you're looking for a church home, or if you know somebody at one of those congregations. Tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible and thank them for this program. Okay, a question about Jesus' miracle, uh, miracles, uh, specifically the first one. Where in the Bible 
is the first miracle Jesus performed? Well, we're going to find that in John chapter 2. John chapter 2 records this, uh, the story of Jesus turning water into wine. The master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water new. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, uh, where in the Bible is John chapter 2 is where we find that. In fact, that's the, it tells us specifically that was the first miracle, and uh, that's where it was, and that's what he did. Uh, just reminding us of Jesus' authority and power, and kind of an unusual one. Doesn't seem like Jesus planned to do that, um, but at the encouragement of his mother, uh, he did so, and um, that's how you know Jesus was a good son because he listened to his mother. So, hope yep. that helps you. Good example of being a good son. In <laughs> fact, he told her it wasn't my time yet. Yep. He, yep. I'm not ready well, quite to start the ministry, <laughs> but. Mama said so, so he helped We're out. Do it. Yep. <laughs> All right. You ever want to know what's a proverb? Uh, well, we've got a whole book called Proverbs in the Bible in the Old Testament. And if you read it, it's a whole bunch of little short sayings, basically. And some of them we recognize. Some of them are very famous. Uh, a proverb itself is just, uh, I call it a truism. It's a general truth. Uh, it's not a hard and fast law uh, established by God that this always happens, but it's in general true. Uh, and we all know proverbs. We we don't call them that, but maybe Grandma used to say a few things, and we still quote her. Uh, you know, Grandma said so and so. Here's a few sayings that are proverbs in one sense: Two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, I'm sure everybody's heard that one. The pen is mightier than the sword. Uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Okay, all of those things are generally true. They're not always true, but generally they're true. Uh, those are not from Proverbs. Those are, I think, I think Ben Franklin might have written most of them, but he, he wrote most of the Proverbs that we call uh, wise sayings. So. Here's a real proverb, and let's use it to illustrate what a proverb is. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay, now, now think about that. In general, that's true. If you've got somebody mad at you, they're arguing with you, they want to fight and all that, if you give them a gentle answer, sometimes that will calm them down. If you answer back and try to scream louder, uh, usually it escalates the fight, and pretty soon it's a real fight. Okay. Now, does that always happen? No, not 100% of the time. Uh, some people are so mad that a gentle answer doesn't bother them at all. They just keep right on raging. Uh, and sometimes a harsh answer will back the other person down. But in general, 90% of the time, if you're in an argument... Uh, try a gentle answer, and you'll probably end up better than if you didn't. 
All right, so that's what a proverb is, general truism. All right, let's answer our trivia question for the day. This woman judge led Israel to victory. Was it Ruth, Esther, or Deborah are your choices? And only one of those was a judge, Miss Deborah. You can read about her in Judges chapter 4 and 5 and uh, see how she won the victory if you want her story. We're glad you've been with us today and I hope we got to your question. If not, come back next week and we'll work on it. Glad you've been with us. Have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.